Welcome into the Seminole Rap Podcast. Florida State now 10 and 0. Number four team in the country takes care takes care of business against the rival Miami at home. It's 27 to 20, the final score. Miami falls to six and four. Uh, you get Johnny Wilson back, you get Keon Coleman back. Overall, you face a freshman quarterback and survive. Not too bad. Proved 10 and 0. That's what you set out to do. Brian Peller in here, Ben Myerson, John Marchant is back and john i won't waste any time i won't force you to uh sit this out any longer than you have the last two weeks (laughs) fresh off your vacation so um i'll go to you first close game any reason for concern um felt like they played fine yeah no they were uh 10 and 0 is pretty sweet gotta say feels really good um no not nothing for concern right so espn's bill Connolly had florida state's postgame win expectancy at 89 percent uh which really tells us that florida state pretty much dominated that game which is what it, how it felt right look you know watching it looking at it um you know miami it was kind of a weird there were some weird fluky plays uh, miami really could only do their running game and their screen game and they they popped a couple of those for explosives that helped them get on the board a couple of times. Uh, but then you had that big fluky pass down the sideline. It's just, you know, I think if you played that game 10 times, uh, I, again, I'm not sure if FSU loses. If they do, it's maybe once, right? Kind of throw that out there as an outlier. I think the other eight times FSU covers the spread, I think this was that one kind of game where Miami tried to make it a game, but they didn't really threaten. Um, but they had some weird things that made, made it look closer than it was. So, uh, no concern for me about Florida State. I thought they they took care of business. Yeah, I started to write up the uh, podcast article for this one, and I was kind of like, it's a ho-hum victory against a team you were better than. I, do, I think the word you mentioned was kind of perfect, fluky on the touchdown. Um, although, I mean, you know, make a play on the ball instead of whatever that was. Uh, ben, you nodded along there. You seem in agreement kind of with the assessment so far. Yeah, I think – you know, this game did not feel as close as it ended up looking with the the box score at the end. Um, there was definitely some weird stuff that happened in this game. And I think if you're a Miami fan in particular, there's a few things that you're probably unhappy about. But then on the other side of that coin, too, you know, there were some moments that Florida State had with the refs that you can point to as well. So, you know, I think things balance out in that sense and Florida state played their game. Um, and I, I kind of felt like this game was the perfect embodiment of what we've seen from this team all season. Yeah. The, I wanted to write up the run game looking better because Benson had the touchdowns. Then you look at the numbers and it was 31 for 57. Even if you take out the sacks, it's what is that? Maybe like, if you take out just Jordan altogether, it's 28 for 87. Even then, I mean, kind of whatever, kind of expected, I guess, for me uh, against a team like Miami that's such a strong run defense. Um, didn't expect them to have the greatest game. Jordan's numbers kind of average. John, any anything in here that stood out um, from the game? Did, did the run game uh, impress you at all, at least the ability to pop a couple? Um, no, I mean, they did get it going a little bit. I think that was a little bit impressive, a little bit of improvement from Florida State. Because, you know, look, whatever Miami's 24-7 site is saying right now, which is absolutely crazy, that, you know, Miami played all these freshmen and that they're closing the talent gap, that's all crap. Miami has a pretty significant blue-chip talent advantage over Florida State. 
and Florida State came in there and just dominated, right? So I don't want to hear any any of that stuff. So, but I will say to that point, Miami's defensive line, their front was good, right? They had a couple really good stud players up front, and their offensive line was really good. Maybe you know, obviously, they'll best to see it until Florida State gets to the playoff. You know, if, if they can close this out, um, better than even LSU's offensive line, right? They might have been the best offensive line FSU faced all year or will face all year unless they, you know, play someone like Georgia in, in the, t- in, you know, in, in the playoff. But, um, you know, I, I thought they did a good job trying to get some of the run game stuff. I was a little surprised you know, after a month of them doing some inside outside zone, we didn't really see any zone runs, Thought that was odd. Um, you know, but they make some things in there. They, they did the screens early, a lot of tight end stuff, uh, which is why we have seen the last couple of weeks. So, I think FSU just went out there and executed. I think they were fine. Uh, some people have said Travis didn't have a good game. I go back and forth on that. I, I kind of want to watch the game before I, I s- kind of say that. I, I know he has this thing in that game where he was he was backpedaling a lot instead of kind of sliding out or scrambling. That's something to look out for. I'm not sure why he's doing that uh, or why he did do that in that in that particular game. But otherwise, I, you know, you guys are right. They just went out and executed. They played their game and. I thought I forgot who it was. I saw a tweet over the weekend, and I'm so sorry I forgot who it was on on, on Twitter. They had said that this team is much like a like a python, right? It takes a while, but they just kind of squeeze their opponents to death. And I thought that was a great way to put that. That's exactly how this game felt. Yeah, you know, we've talked a lot over this past year um, of this season about how Florida State, you know, maybe they're not dominating opponents the way that we feel that they should, and that kind of stuff. But really, when you squeeze the life out of an opponent slowly or four quarters, it's a little demoralizing. And I, you know, I thought Florida State had a good game plan. Thought they executed it well. Um, I, I thought that they, you know, again against a good Miami front, they did a good job. And, and there's not much else to say, really, for me. I like that the the Python because my my even my friends who aren't Florida State fans, like I mean, you know, I'm in a group chat with a bunch of LSU folks and and things. And um, this game got to the second half, and Florida State kind of started going. And they were like, oh, here comes that Florida State title wave just ended. Like, like it's it's not just in the Florida State circles that it's expected. Like it's it's in college football. Like they're just gonna kind of keep building, keep getting stronger and close strong. I think I saw a lot of the things that kind of make me worry about this team as a playoff team um at that point. But at this point, you're still you're like, you know, you're you're we talked about it. you're 10 and 0, you did the things you needed to do. Um Sure. I mean, Miami's quarterback probably looked better than I'd hope. At least the numbers do. But I mean, eight for 23, the huge yards came on one pass. Um, he had the other drive that looked okay. Um, I don't know. Nothing really impressed me from Miami's side. They ran the ball okay. Um, like you said, it was it was fine. Uh, they, they played a great game. And um, once you kind of stack the momentum going forward, it's kind of neutered at that point. You kind of just took the game from them. Ben, I, I know not an easy one to flip your way would have been the uh, onside kick at halftime. I, I know they talked about on the broadcast that was something they saw that they liked. Um, but I, I don't mind it. I like the aggressiveness from this team. Yeah, I love it. Um, and I actually, you know, earlier in the year, I was kind of critical of Mike Norvell in fourth down situations, you know, because they just weren't really good over those first six, seven, eight games of the year. And my issue is more so with the fact that, hey, if you're going to be aggressive, I want you to do that in big moments where it can really make a difference. And I thought that's exactly what Mike Norvell tried to do with that onside kick. 
So, you know what? I don't love the outcome, of course, but if you watch that play and the broadcast talked about the breakdown of it, Florida State had a good plan for that onside kick. It just didn't end up going their way because the Miami player made a really good play. So I actually really liked that from Mike Norvell. He 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 knew that FSU was better than Miami, that eventually, like, like John was saying, they'd constrict them, you know, have that Python effect on them. But if you want to really, really get out, out ahead in front of some of these teams, stealing a possession is the best way to do that. So I like that aggressiveness from Mike Norvell. Um, and, and I like, you know, where he's picking and choosing his spots compared to what we saw earlier in the season. So I really like that from him. One thing I think we've talked about last week a lot, Ben, was the emergence of Ja'Kai Douglas without Johnny Wilson and Keon Coleman in something they kind of needed, a necessity in that game. And we were curious if it would continue when they returned. Ja'Kai had a good game here. You saw Marqueston Douglas get involved early. Bell had a few nice plays that I can't really complain about. Um, I assume you liked what you saw from that group coming together. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I think outside of those, the two primary pass catchers outside of Coleman and Wilson, I, I thought this was the best overall game plan distribution of targets I've seen from Mike Norvell, especially really early in that first quarter before they kind of stalled in the second quarter, like we've talked about them stalling so many times. You know, they had a really good drive. Um, it wasn't the first drive. It was the second drive they had where I don't think they targeted Johnny or Keon. That entire drive it was a 10 play touchdown drive. And they were just peppering all those other guys. Right. Your Ja'Kai Douglas is Jaheim Bells, Marquise and Douglas. Um, they got Kyle Morlock, I think, on that drive. He only he only caught one catch. I think it was that drive. And then they got the running game going also. And yeah, that didn't sustain over the entire game. But what I really liked about that drive early on compared to what we saw later on was they got themselves in really good third down situations. And I think what really hurt them as we got into the third and fourth quarter was they had too many negative plays on early down situations and kind of set themselves up for really, really hard, difficult third down. So um, I'd like to see more of what we saw early in that game. But as we also saw as the game went on, Florida State has two freaks and Johnny Wilson and Keon Coleman. And they can just say like, it's kind of like that, uh, that Joe Burrow meme where he's like, F it, throw it to Jamar Chase. It's like, <laughs> I kind of feel that same way with Johnny Wilson and Keon Coleman. If, you know, if worse comes to worse, you can just say F it, throw it to them. Yeah. F it, Chase down there somewhere. Uh, I think the originator for that one was uh, Johnny Manziel and Mike Evans was just, he ran around and just was like, Evans is down there. Uh, John, did you have the same kind of assessment from the receiver group that the kind of carry over from last week? Yeah, I thought, um, yeah, I have to agree with a lot of stuff that Ben said. I, again, I loved them going to the tight ends. I thought they could have done a little bit more down the stretch, especially in the red zone. Um, I, you know, again, the key on to Johnny, I thought they could have gone to John a little bit more. I thought, especially early in the game, they kept isolating Johnny one-on-one, right? You might have three or four receivers to one side and then Johnny on the other. And then they didn't go his way, you know? And again, there's a lot of the same stuff we've had all season about Travis just refusing to run. Um, it just felt the whole game, right? That the FSU was about to pop an explosive both on the ground and through the air. And it ended up happening. It did both, you know, both pass and run Benson's, Benson's long run. Um, it was just weird. I thought they're going to hit a little bit more than, than I think the five explosive plays that they hit. Um, 
But again, it just really frustrates me. Travis won't run. But overall, with the receivers, I thought they were fine. They were good. Uh, I think they were bracketing Keon in coverage all night. They're trying to take him away. They did a decent job of that, except for his one touchdown anyway. Um, always draped all over a guy. Um, and then, you know, Johnny did find it. Again, I thought they could have gone to him a little bit more. Um, I love the running backs out of the backfield. I still think they need to be doing that more. But you, you get, and they pointed out on the broadcast, you could tell that Miami was prepared for floor state screens. And, and FSU gives you a lot to look at, right? If you're a defender and a lot to prepare for. I thought Miami did a really, really good job. Um, but again, I, I floor state is just the better team. And it just they just overwhelmed them. And there's just, there's no way. I, I think Miami did do the right thing playing Emory Williams instead of Tyler Van Dyke. I just don't think. Miami's just not good enough to keep up over four quarters. Yeah, we talked about this game on the Sharpen the Point podcast, available on Fridays, DFS College Fix. And we were talking about this game as one where Chris, my, my co-host there, was interested in, in Jordan Travis because Miami is great as a run defense and Miami's been beaten up in the passing game. Um, Jordan's numbers don't look all that impressive. 19 for 31, 265 and a touchdown. Um the like like you mentioned, the run game is not there still. Um, eight negative thirty, obviously sacks involved there and things. But um, we kind of were talking. This was a game that we kind of circled. Like past, it seems where it would make sense. This is the game where Jordan would have his turn. Ben, does that speak more to just this team can win in so many ways? Is that more or less what's going on there? Because it just seems like every time we have tried to be like, this is the week we like Jordan. It's never the week Jordan likes us back. Yeah. Um, no, I think it is absolutely this team having so many more ways to win this year in particular than they did last year, right? I, I think if you're watching Jordan Travis this year, maybe the more casual observer will kind of watch him from last year, this year, and say, hey, he was making all these plays last year. He was running all over the field. And the reality is, is he had to do that because the team did not position themselves well enough, especially in like, you know, that Florida game last year. If if that if this team played in that game last year, they would have absolutely destroyed them and it would have been wouldn't have been necessary for Jordan to be running around in the red zone and having those broken plays. Right. Um, so I think it's it's that, it's that thing where. Sure, he was a lot more exciting last year, but I think he's been a lot more efficient. They've been a lot more, they've been a lot smarter this year. Um, his sack rate is about the same, but his touchdown to interception ratio is much better than it was last year. Last year it was 24 to 5 picks. This year it's 20 touchdowns to two picks, right? So I, I think as much as we enjoy seeing Jordan from just aesthetically watching football, it's fun to watch him when he's really getting going in that way. It's not necessary for this team to lean on him in that way. And I, I think that's kind of the approach they've taken, especially with this regular season schedule, you know, against especially, you know, the, the last few weeks before Miami against some of those more cupcake opponents. Right. There was no need to run Jordan Travis. I would have liked to see it more in this game because this game was getting a little frisky. But I, I do think it is something where they can hold that in their back pocket until the college football playoff or the ACC championship game and, and be smarter about it. Um, before then, I would like to see – I would just like to see it more. But I can understand their thought process behind, you know, putting Jordan in a more advantageous position to where he's not going to be getting hit as much. You can keep him healthy. He's had a lot of problems getting banged up over the last few years, right? and 
you know, the numbers show he's not putting the ball in harm's way as much as he was in the last few years. So I think it's really just a function of this team not needing Jordan to be the guy who makes the crazy, crazy big play, because as good as those were in those last few years, at times I would kind of come back to bite them. So I think it's that's the adjustment they've had this year. John, you agree with that? I agree. I agree with parts of it. I I agree with Ben that Florida State doesn't have to run Travis, right? And it's been frustrating for me to see him not run. Um, but obviously, again, FSU's 10 and 0. So they haven't needed him to. I think the only time they they did it, right, was LSU. I think he did a little bit and he did it against Duke, right? And I did expect him to run in this game, especially when it was a one-score game in the second half, and he just won't do it. And it's it's really frustrating because it literally it hurts the running game, right? So I saw it on tape. The second he starts to run in the Duke game, right? Because what happens is you got two defenders, especially one time, you know, linebacker or safety, right? They crash in on Benson, right, at the same time. But if Travis keeps, even if he keeps for eight yards and then slides, right? So he has no contact. Just the fact that he does that, it keeps that one defender out. And they don't crash in because they have to respect Travis's running. And they don't crash in on Benson. And that's when Florida State start, starts popping mo- some of those more explosives that were at least they do it more consistently, right? It's not just four yards or, or three yards or, you know, then then maybe eight. It's, you know, 12, 12, 8, 15, that kind of thing. And it makes a huge difference. It opens everything up. And so I disagree with the fact that Florida State doesn't do that early in games just to remind defenses that it's there and then continue to operate the offense the way they're doing, they just refuse to do it. And you see Travis, who's making what is essentially a bad read by handing it off to the running back when, again, I'm not asking him to run and take a hit, right? But if you if you keep it just so the defenses know that's a thing that you could do, run it for 12 yards and then slide, so you don't you don't get a hit. That's all it takes, and that they won't do that, and that's what I don't understand. So I agree with Ben that, that Florida State hasn't had to do that. Um, I I would also I guess I'll go as far to say too that it's clear Florida State and Travis will not do it unless they feel like they absolutely have to. Which again I think at this point would be the playoff, right? Um, but that's. I, I disagree with that philosophy just in general. I don't think that's what Florida State sh- should be doing. I think they're making it a lot more difficult on themselves than it, than it has to be because of what that gives you and how that opens up the rest of the offense. Um, I think they'd be putting 40-plus and blowing everybody out if if they've been doing that, and they just won't do it. And, again, they don't have to, but I think they're making it a lot more difficult in these games a lot closer than they need to be. And at the same time, right before I, I wrap this up, I want to make sure, too, that I point out, I don't think that they really necessarily need to. I don't think that style points matters that much. If Florida State finishes undefeated and they win the ACC championship game, they're getting in. And undefeated Florida State's not getting left out. So style points don't really matter. It's only about winning and advancing. I will leave that there for a second and come back around to it. The one thing I do think that is moderately concerning in terms of the lack of using him, and we keep kind of talking playoff, I do think Louisville, um, Louisville, how am I want to say that? I'm going to go with Lowell. Louisville. Just swallow it and make it a bunch of L's. Uh, you know, being top 10 in, in run defense in the country, allowing only 98 per game, they are in a win and get in scenario this weekend against Miami. Um you know, assuming they win that game, they're in. And then if they lose, it's some kind of weird tiebreakers between them and likely North Carolina. 
Um, but that's a team that that I think sets up to kind of put it where you have to activate Jordan at that point. Um, before I move off of Miami entirely and, and push back towards the uh, you don't need style points conversation there, I do want to ask, John, I'll go to you first because you brought it up. In terms of Miami and their side of the world pushing back on, on Florida State and saying, you know, this was close and we, obviously we lost by 50 last year. Um, and we're playing freshmen, and look how much better we are. Mario's doing the thing. Uh, why is that a bad faith argument? I, I guess to frame it that way. Well, they were that one article I I did see from from the Miami's twenty four seven. I've seen it spot. a lot on on their from on Twitter from their fans as well. Yeah, yeah, their fans have been really bad with it, but that especially was kind of shocking because uh, again, Miami has a sizable talent advantage, and they're trying to say, you know, well, well, if, you know, Miami's closing the gap, and we're playing all these freshmen, and you know, we're going to get better. And again, I think, I think the thing to remember with Mario Cristobal is I do think he's a very good recruiter, and Miami teams will be dangerous in the future if he's you know doesn't get fired because he will collect a bunch of talent on those teams. Just like I, you could argue that in this game, Miami had more talent on the offensive line than Florida State's offensive line. They gave uh, FSU's defensive line fits. Now, I thought FSU's defensive line did play well, but they gave mm-hmm. them some issues. Um, and, you know, Cheney had a good game in spot. They did pop a couple explosives because of that. Again, you could argue that I think, well, that's the other two. I think Florida State's defense rotates way too much with their backups. They don't play their, their starters enough. Um, and that, that hurts you. But also, um, Miami's defensive front was very, very good. They actually, I can't remember the last time Travis got sacked that much. I honestly can't. I literally can't remember the last time. So that's why I thought it was a bad faith argument. Miami had more talent. They've had more talent. And when they keep losing these games, I think they went five and seven last year with Mario, right? In his first season. And now they're, they're six and four, right? They've lost four of the last six games this season. They're losing these games as the more talented team. Like, that's what's the bad faith argument about them saying, oh, well, you know, Miami's closing the gap and we're getting better now. No, you really weren't. And again, aside from those fluky plays, you should have lost by, you know, again, what the spread was, about two touchdowns. Florida State maybe even outplayed them more than that, right? Um, so, again, I it's kind of funny, uh, but I, I do worry a little bit about Miami's teams in the future if Mario's there and he he continues to stockpile talent. But at the same time, he continues to do less with more. So I, I think that's what Florida State fans will hang their hat on. Well, when have we ever seen someone recruit at an all-time level turn it into absolutely nothing? Like, <laughs> could someone be paid, say, a $76 million buyout <laughs> to pull in the greatest recruiting class in the history of college football and turn into absolutely nothing. I mean, is that, is that even possible? If they recruited that level, they have to win, right? I mean, what? Why? Yes, it is possible. What? We'll get to that in a bit too. Ben, Ben, do you think that same thing, bad faith argument for you as well? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I think John made some, some excellent points that at the end of the day, Florida state does not have the blue chip talent that, that Miami does right now. And, and I think that showed in this game and that's why this game was so close, but I think, you know, yeah, it's absolutely a bad faith argument. I did want to note too, as John was, was talking through that, um, that this was the most Jordan's gotten sacked in the last two years. Actually, he got sacked Dude, three times wow. in this game. He hasn't gotten sacked more than two times since the 2021 game against UF mm. in Gainesville. Um, so, you know, 
I, I think Miami's offensive line and defensive line were just better in this game. They're more talented. They're better in the trenches. And I, I do worry about that moving forward for Florida State, um, you know, especially once we get to the playoff. But, yeah, I think it's absolutely a bad faith argument that, oh, you look at the box score in this game, it was a little closer. If Kevin Knowles doesn't take, like, the worst angle ever <laughs> on, on a tackle and Keon Coleman doesn't get held, it's a three-score game, yeah. right? So that's just that's just the margins in, in these types of games. That's how close things can be in terms of it being a three-score game and it not being that. And I think – you know, you guys made some excellent points earlier about if you played out this game a hundred times, I think this is the closest that this gets with these two teams as they are right now. Yeah, yeah I, I want to add to that too. Sorry, because I think Ben is 100% correct. I want to add too that Knowles is playing out of position at safety. He's not really safety. I think they need to go to Conrad Hunt. See there, uh, I'd rather live with like people are in the domination slot we're talking about this weekend. I think we'd all rather live with a you know freshman mistakes versus Knowles. I will say too that on that pass, that pass was underthrown badly. And I think if it's not underthrown, I think Knowles just you get three bodies going in different directions, he just blows that up. Um, but so that was part of it. Again, that's what I meant by fluky. It was just a weird play. It was just horribly underthrown. Knowles did take a bad angle, but then you kind of misjudged it too because it was underthrown. And then it's just whiffing. It just, it was weird. Uh, but he is playing out of position. I won't say he's better as a nickel corner. That's what he should be doing. Yeah, the one thing I would say in Miami's favor is kind of what Ben said, right? They they were probably better in the trenches in this game. Um, and if you're going to build a program to be one that competes in these games, competes at a higher level... That's where it's going to come from is that offensive line is going to come from the defensive line. And if crystal ball is building there, then, you know, great. That, that, that for Miami, that's how you should be building a program. And, um, you know, I kind of wrote this up in, in my uh, staff picks was, I don't think this is the Miami team from a year ago because you're not 50 points better than them. Um, But their quarterback play has been so bad that I didn't think they really had a chance to win the game. And that kind of proved to be. Yeah, and I do think where Florida State ultimately won out this game is they execute at such a high level, right? The the execution from this team is really what's winning them all these games where I think in the past, even last year, we saw them in in some of these really close games along that three-game stretch where they just did not execute at the end of games well and, and in key situational plays, right? And you saw a little bit of that like with the Kevin Knowles play, but I think John made some good points that He's not he's not a safety. He should not be playing safety. He's a nickel corner. That is what he should be playing. And it's crazy that they're putting him out there at safety. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think we, and we haven't talked about this yet, but we got to give Florida State's defense a lot of credit from this game, because outside of that, that one play, I think they played really, really excellent football. And they have been for the last month and a half. Adam Fuller, as much grief as we we were given him going into the season as much as Florida state fans felt a certain way about him. He's really flipped the script. Their defenses have gotten better over the course of games. They've adjusted well in games. They've had timely blitzes. They've really known when, when to make key situation, key, key situational plays and had the right play calls for those moments. And, and to me, you know, this offense is, is a little bit too high and low at times, but if Florida State is going to go far in the playoff, it's going to be because of how great this defense is. And Kalen Deloach, got to give him a shout out. He was 
awesome in this game. Um, and, and he continues to be great. And I think, you know, the defensive line, like, like John mentioned, they got beat up a little bit, but I was still very impressed with how they handled themselves against a really talented front. So I think I wanted to mention that, that this defense is just, it's just elevated to a level that I quite never expected out of them this season. Yeah, that's, that's such a good point. I'm so glad you brought that up. Cause one thing I want to add there is I, um, you know, I, 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 criticized Fuller a lot this season, right? I thought they were, the defense was sloppy. They busted coverages all over the beginning of the season. I have to hand it to him. I, you know, I, I told, I said he was doing less with, with more, right? Uh, like what I said about Miami that he, he, ever since the bye, they figured it out. And I know you could say, Oh, there's not a big, you know, uh, the quarterback play that they've, you know, faced against the opponents and things like that. I, I mean, I get that, but at the same time, what they're doing is absolutely absurd. And I think someone brought the question up in the Tomac Nation Slack group over the weekend uh, during the game, and I have to agree with it. So I, I feel compelled to say that the question was, um, is Florida State's defense the better unit than Florida State's offense, which was shocking coming in the season? And I have to say the answer is yes. I, I can no longer pretend otherwise. Uh, the offense at times, like Ben said, I mean, they're they're great. They just they'll blow you out. They could at times execute. They do whatever they want. Um, but other times they're incredibly sloppy and FSU's gotten lucky. They haven't turned the ball over more with a lot of the fumbles and things like that. But I would have to say the defense, right, has been the better, more consistent unit. And I, there's a tweet from ESPN's David Hale. I want to, I want to read real quick that he tweeted today it says FSU has held five straight power five opponents to less than 50% completions, which is tied for the second longest streak of the playoff era and the fourth longest of the last 20 years. That's not just a fluke of, Oh, they played a string of bad quarterbacks. That's really good defense, right? Because there's you can find bad quarterbacks in every conference, right? There's only a few good quarterbacks in the whole country. Uh, um, and he adds on FSU's opponents the last five games: thirty-seven point eight percent completions, four and a half yards per drop back, three touchdowns, four picks. That's ridiculous. It's elite defense, no matter how you cut it. I don't care who you play or the type of the type of uh, opponent quarterback, you know, quality that you're playing. That's really good defense. They're solid. They're sticky. The other thing um, is the pass defense, right? So Florida State's defense has been unlucky. So I think they said it's been about, what, 84 passes defensed, right, this season? If I remember correctly, historically, passes defense turn into interceptions about 22 or 23% of the time, right? That math says that Florida State should have 14 or 15 picks, and they don't. They only have seven. So they've been incredibly unlucky. Right to not have more turnovers for them than what they've had, and that luck usually regresses to the mean, and they'll start getting picks. Hopefully, it happens against UF. That would be amazing, uh, and Louisville. But anyway, I just wanted to say, you know, I was again, I have to give Adam Fuller credit um, for as much as I criticized him. I think he's done an incredible job. Also, shout out to Patrick Sertain and his recruiting and everything else going on there. So um, this defense has has turned around really nicely. Uh, ben, do you want to agree with him first, or would you like me to disagree first? I, I'm going to say absolutely. They're, they're the better unit because they're the more consistent, reliable unit. Uh, I think it's not even close, honestly. I mean, Florida State's offense had one yard of total offense in the second quarter in this game. They have major lulls where the defense just does not have that this year. And, yeah, I think there are there are plays here and there, like the Kevin Knowles play. And there's teams always – it seems like every two or three weeks teams will get in one shot play where you're like, how did that happen? Right. But 
outside of that, this defense is playing at a level where I I, I think they're a, a they're, they don't have the ceiling maybe of the offensive unit because Keon Coleman is just ridiculous and Johnny and it's it's all just crazy right the playmakers what Mike's doing right but the consistency of that group to me is is so much more valuable especially when we're going to be heading into the college football playoff that to, to me is the difference to where I think the ceiling is so much higher with the offense but if the defense continues to play at this consistent level that is going to be much more valuable for them in terms of the difference between them winning some of these games and losing some of these these games at the end of the year so so my disagreement i'm going to go ahead and and buckle in the the strength of schedule style points needed here argument all into one and i'll let you guys rock paper scissors while i run my mouth to decide who gets (laughs) to respond to me first but um i think you have to count in the the opponents right virginia tech is not very good at all um they they aren't their their three big wins are are Against the other bottom teams, Syracuse, Wake Forest, Pitt, um, they're bad. And they can't stop the run. Louisville ran a backup running back all over them, and you did it with Trey Benson. So um, that's where your offense looked better. Their defense, Your defense looked good in that one. Again, but they're not very good on offense at all. Uh, Syracuse is awful. I mean, just awful. Uh, you saw how limited Duke was with Riley Leonard. They looked better this weekend against the bad North Carolina team. So I do give you credit there because um, – even a third string quarterback at Duke put up yards and points against UNC this weekend, which was fine. I give you your credit there. Wake uh, is pretty rough. Uh, I think they've turned through three or four quarterbacks this year. Pitt's done the same. Uh, Miami went to the freshman because Tyler Van Dyke was so bad. And God knows when he came in, we all, I mean, I think Gwen tweeted it, my (laughs) co-host on the softball pod, but like, here comes the pick. And we all knew it was coming. (laughs) And there it was. Uh, I mean, you haven't played anyone worth anything. And, and my fear in this whole part of it comes to where I'm worried that you haven't played anyone. And, and that's where I end up concerned that you haven't. Let me back it up. Your offense is worse than your defense because I think it speaks more to the offense's inconsistency and their inability to put together consistent, strong efforts. I think the last two weeks you played great run defenses and and had those issues even wake kind of did the thing to you duke held you in check for 80 percent of that game until you mowed them over in the fourth quarter when they couldn't move the ball at all um i think this speaks more this run speaks more to the concerns and fears i have about the offenses inconsistencies than the confidence i have in the defense surprisingly i'm at least moderately interested in what they look like at florida both sides of the ball um I watched LSU Florida last night, obviously. Florida plays strong up the middle against the run. Um, they can pressure the quarterback some. I, I think they are, despite being pretty bad, the best team you've played since September. Um, I don't think we think Klubnik's anything great. Um, obviously, that was a game. I, I just worry about the inconsistencies in it. And where I end up again is you don't look impressive and that's where i end up in the same conversation we had before where like if you're not running jordan and you're not you know picking off passes maybe you should and you're not doing those things at what point can we say like hey they're holding themselves back or they're having bad luck or you know things are just going to break where now 10 games into the season is this who they are is is this 
inconsistent offense, not able to turn tipped passes into interceptions. Is that who they are? And then when they play a Florida, who I think is mediocre and they should be Louisville, who I think is better than Florida and still kind of mediocre and potentially then Georgia, Michigan, Ohio state, whoever that team is, then you end up in a real spot where you've got to all of a sudden be ready to flip the switch from inconsistent offense to a defense that can really turn out and get turnovers, get the ball back to their hands and and put it in the end zone. Ben, you have been dying to cut me off. So I'll let you have it. (laughs) Well, I can understand where you're coming from. That's how I'll start this is I can understand (laughs) that, you know, the offense's inconsistency is a worry. I also think we've seen the high end of this offense in ways to where I'm confident with them competing against the best competition. And I think the ways that they can win um, with Johnny, with with Keon and with the tight ends, I think that's going to be translatable in the playoffs in particular. Um, what I one point I wanted to make about the defense and the real reason I was looking like I was about to jump through the screen was <laughs> because there's there is a Heisman quarterback who Florida State made look pretty pedestrian at the beginning of this season, Jaden Daniels. So I mean, if you want to talk about strength of schedule, how things looked, it's been a long time since then. And you only play, you know, the teams that you have on your schedule. But Florida State has shown that they can keep in check an offense that has the ability to be very high powered. So I I kind of disagree with that point and that, you know, they've really only they've only played who who they have on their schedule right but they when they've had those opportunities against high octane sort of offenses that can really get rolling with a quarterback like that that was his worst game all season it was his worst qbr um it was his worst passer rating all season um his worst touchdown interception one of his worst rushing games um at least in terms of yards per attempt they they held Jaden Daniels in check. So, you know, I think they would have done similar things to Riley Leonard, in my opinion, as much as I, as much as I love Riley Leonard and (laughs) great. Um, But I I think for Florida state's defense, I I can understand where you're coming from with the offense, but from the defense perspective, I completely disagree. I think they've constricted teams in a way that they did not show. And there's those, that first month, you know, where we saw some of that inconsistency from the defense. And then like John mentioned, ever since the bye, they've just gotten to a whole nother level on defense. They really rarely make mistakes. Their execution is at a very, very high level. I think what gets them in trouble at times on defense is Fentrell Cypress every now and then can have some bad plays. I think their open field tackling could be better and, and, and it's a little spotty at times, but outside of that, this defense is a really, really complete unit. I guess before I let John tear me apart too, the, the one argument I'll make is, can I hang my hat on the on the one LSU game? You know, I mean, you did give up, it was 410 yards from Jaden, obviously the 75 on the one pass, pass at the end there. So it's really close to like probably 350 outside of the fluke play. It's kind of the same in that game. Um, you know, can I hang my hat on one game from two plus months ago as proof that this team is really that when, you know, I I worry about, again, Marvin Harrison Jr. or this whatever Michigan is, I don't know how to describe it, or Georgia seems to really be coming on. Carson Beck's throwing the ball a lot better. Lad McConkey, Brock Bowers is somehow a uh, put plates in my ankle two weeks ago and then let me go play football at a high level uh, type of guy. 
Um, that's where I, that's where my fear is. I do think you're still better than the teams on your schedule. Um, but I worry how that, can we flip the switch and suddenly be that level good when the time comes, John, rip me apart. Uh, no, actually, I, I agree with you. Um, look, I think this, I think this Florida state team is a very, very good football team, right? I don't want to put, take anything away from them, but I have complained all season about how they could be better, you know, in some of the margins and that they just don't do it. Um, Again, it's it's not just Travis's running. And again, it's for as much as I've now given Fuller some credit for how the defense has played over the last, you know, five or six weeks or whatever it's been. At the same time, I get just as frustrated because they play backups too much. It's one thing to rotate guys at defensive tackle. They have the depth to do that. Those guys are really good. All that depth is good. All the way down, Farmer, Ray, Malcolm Ray, all those guys, it's it's really good. They do not have the depth at defensive end. And that costs them a couple of huge runs in the Miami game. Because they're rotating all these guys in. Same thing with safety. They're playing Kevin Knowles out of position instead of a freshman to Conrad Hussey. In the beginning of the season, they're playing Barker, who was just he was young, right? He's a young player. He'll 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 grow and, and get better. Uh, but it was a little early for him, and Boston College kind of destroyed them on the back end. I think they play backups way too much. I know Mike Norvell said before the season that all these national title winning teams rotated this amount, right? So he that's what we're gonna do. Because he wants his starters to be fresh. And I get that. And I think it has something to do with Florida State kind of squeezing teams and running away at the end of games because you're more fresh and stuff like that. But the problem is you if you played your starters more, you might be up by three touchdowns or four touchdowns, and then you could rest your starters. It wouldn't matter. So I but the other part of that is Florida State does not have the same talent that Georgia and Ohio State and Michigan and these other playoff contenders that we're looking at. Right. Uh, Alabama, they don't have that talent. They don't have the depth. And so, Brian, to your point, I would agree. I I, I don't think anything has changed for me. This team, like, I don't think Florida is as good in the trenches as Miami is. Right. No. And while Florida presents issues, I do think FSU is better. I, I think Florida's best win this season, looking at their schedule, is Tennessee. But every other good or ranked team they played, they lost. They lost to Utah to open the season. They lost to Kentucky. They lost to they got waxed by Georgia. They just got waxed by LSU, and then they lost to Arkansas, who's not a good team in overtime. So their their best win is Tennessee and then South Carolina. And then after that, you've just got Vanderbilt and Charlotte and McNeese. Like Florida is not, I don't think they're a good team. Right, so say you beat Louisville, right? I think Louisville has a decent defense, but again, don't have the te- the trench talent capable of the Florida State. It's weird because in any other year, I would say Florida State again. This is a very good football team. I would not consider them a national title contender. The playoff changes some of that. If, if Florida State wins out, like they should, they're in the playoff. They are technically a title contender, but I don't think there's any reason to expect this team to ch- really challenge. Twice in a row is where I end up. I well, feel like too. any given day they can walk out there and do it to any potty. It's twice in a row. Sure. And I 100%. I, yeah, that's actually good. I, I agree with you there. I, it's almost to me similar to how this Florida State Miami game went, right? Miami made it look close, but really, Florida State's win expectancy was 89% post game. Miami never really challenged them. That's how I feel like a playoff game would go. And I get to your point, Brian, and again to Ben's too. Any given day, 100% Florida State could go in there and win. Right. Uh, I, I think Oregon, if Oregon beats Washington and they get in instead, I think they can beat them. That's I think the, the Washington game. Yeah. I don't think that FSU would beat. I think you Washington, could beat Washington because, as well. Right. Well, because Penix and their offenses, again, to Ben's point, too. And I, I agree with him. 
Florida State's offense is so inconsistent. They disappear for an entire quarter of time. I don't think Washington's offense is going to disappear. I think Georgia is underrated, right? They're a two-time national title wonder. I know they're not as good as they they were the last two years, but you know, Bama's coming on at the right time. They're getting hot. Milrow is ridiculous. So it really comes down to you got Michigan, Ohio State, right? You got Bama, Georgia. You got Washington, Oregon. Those are all three spots. And then you got FSU. And if FSU loses, it opens the door for someone in the Big 12 to come Texas back in. Texas is sitting right there as well. Right. Yeah. So that's how I think it's going to play out. I mean, again, one of those other three that loses in those other conferences could be the fourth team, right? One of them sneaks in or something like that. But uh, otherwise, that's kind of the scenario we're looking at. And again, I expect Florida State to be undefeated. I expect Florida State to get in. I just whoever they play. And I think it would be better if they played someone like Ohio State, whose defense is ridiculous, but their offense is not very good. They don't really have anybody outside of Marvin Harrison Jr., who is probably the best player in the country, right, aside from Jane Daniels. So I, I just – I I would not expect Florida State to win. I'd be, be really gravy on top just making – to me, that, again, I haven't changed that. That's what we, my goal was this whole year. Win the ACC, that's what we expect. Beat Clemson. Uh, hopefully you get to the playoff. I would not expect him to do anything there, and I I haven't changed. Yeah, that's where the danger starts. It kind of ramps up. And Ben, before I go to you on the playoff, John, I do want to come back to you on one thing that I think is important over the last few weeks we haven't gotten to you. I officially declared this run game dead. Uh, I don't believe it's something they're going to fix. Uh, ben was in full agreement. I believe the two of us were, were co-signing the obituaries there and saying run game non-existent. It will not happen. They're 75th in the country. Uh, one spot ahead of USC, who I don't think anyone believes is a good running team, um, 150 yards a game. I don't believe this team can, will, or is going to be able to run the ball in a game like that. Uh, I assume you will agree. Do you want to co-sign this obituary on the run game for us? Or I mean, they did well I mean, against LSU, and we left the LSU, or they did mediocre against LSU, and we left the LSU game saying, this is the best D-tackle combo they're going to face all year. And in reality... That LSU defensive front is garbage, and everyone runs on them, and you didn't. And I know that was, again, two and a half months ago, but if we're going to use it for the defense in their favor, we got to use it for the offense in their negative. So I now will put you back to you again. I forgot that point I wanted to make, so I cut you off, and here it is. Um, uh, See, obituary is like a little too strong for me. I'm not going to say that they're dead. Uh, to Norvell's standard or the standard of last year, yes, they they are. I, I think the issue is not Benson. Uh, again, I put some some of it on Travis because I think he deserves some of the blame. But 90 percent, I think maybe now ninety percent is on the offensive line. They just don't have the same players up front, and part of it is you know counters your bread and butter. They've used that a lot more as a passing scheme while they're running out of inside zone. Uh, the issue is when you're actually trying to run counter, you got guards who can't run counter. Uh, that's part of the problem, right? Uh, and they tried different things. They, instead of so instead of GT counter, right, you're pulling the guard and the tackle. They tried CT counter, you're pulling the center. And the issue for that too is you had issues up front with the center, right? So if you pull GT, if you do GT counter, if I, if I remember correctly, you're pulling the guard, the backside guard, and the backside tackle, right? You're asking, I think, the center to reach block, and they're struggling to do that. So one thing they did is, why don't we just pull the center, and you're asking the guard to block more straight up. And they did that a little bit, and they had some success with it, and then they just abandoned it. And I, I don't, I'm not really sure why, but they went to more inside-outside zone, and then you play a good front in Miami, you just don't even try, which kind of tells me maybe they thought that they didn't have the players up front to be able to block Miami like that. 
Um, so I think obituary is too strong of a word. I would say that this is, they are what they are and they're not going to get any better because you're not going to get any better up front. I thought that they should have maybe experimented more and, and, and rotated some other guys, younger guys in to see if you could have something better. And they're not going to do that. So I, I think instead what they've done is again, they, they would, besides the inside outside zone game, I think they've really developed their screen game specifically to address that as part of their running game is really what it's a substitute for. Um, and they've involved the tight ends and the and the receivers in that. So it has nothing to do with Benson. Benson is still absolutely absurd. I think the entire issue is uh, your offensive line is just not nearly as good as it was last year in certain spots. And again, that, that plays into your point, Brian, and why I agree with you that if FZ were to make the playoff and you're playing against Ohio State's front or Georgia's front or Alabama's front or if it ends up being Michigan, you're playing Michigan's front, I do not expect this offense to be able to run the ball at all. So if 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 that's the criteria here, then yeah, I'll sign the death certificate for Florida State's <laughs> defense if that's what we're judging it on. But if we're judging it, you know, are they going to be able to run on Florida? Yeah, Florida's run defense is awful. Yes, they're going to be able to pop a bunch of runs against against Florida. That's what I would expect. Um, so I I, I don't want to you know sign the obituary when it comes to that. But and, and again, like you pointed out, with the, what are they with seventy something, eighty something? They're about average, a little below average in the running game. Uh, but if you're talking about, you know, you're in a playoff game, can your running game help you win, a, win the game? No, not you're going to be running Travis. That's what you're going to need to be doing. Yeah, I'm looking at I'm looking at quickly the two best run defenses they've faced so far. Obviously, no surprise. Clemson is the best that they've faced so far uh, in that game. 20 carries, 22 yards. The second best run defense they faced was all the way down at number 56, which was Syracuse, who I don't believe any of us think is any good, actually. Uh, that game was 34 for 194 with a 50-yard run from Toa Feely doing a lot of the heavy lifting there. Um, so, I mean, yeah, the one defense you faced, that's Louisville caliber. That's um, Georgia caliber, you know, in, in that realm, because Georgia's one spot ahead of, of Clemson you put up 20 yards, you know? And so that's, that's where that translates. Ben, I want to bring it back to playoff as I come your way. John said he believes there is no reason for fear. And I have seen more and more of national talking heads beginning to position Florida state as the team who potentially will, should, could be on the outside looking in come selection. Do we do selection Sunday in football? I think we do. Yeah. Um, the argument there being one of Michigan, Ohio State will end up there because they're going to play each other and win because the rest of that conference just exists to be in, uh, I guess, res- resume padding wins for them. Um, Georgia or Alabama will likely be there in all likelihood. I believe it is Georgia, but Milrow and, and Alabama are playing better, um, largely the defense and Milrow is just running all over the place. Um, you're in the spot where Washington and Oregon seem likely to be in there. My, my thoughts are, I think Oregon is probably that team, but they would have a loss. Washington would not. And then you have Texas who, if they run the table in the big 12 could end up in a spot where are they the team on the outside? They have the road win over Alabama. Um, I think Florida state's being punished for the ACC being garbage and for playing, uh, LSU week one, as opposed to like in some weird week 10. Um, no one's talking about Michigan's schedule. They're getting a pass. Best team they've played this season outside of the Penn State game this weekend was UNLV. Um, I, it's surprising to see that where everyone's like, well, Florida State's just in a bad league. It's unfair. 
Uh, they've won the game, so I feel like if you run the table, you should still probably be in, and these things end up working themselves out. But um, I- I'm seeing more of the national conversation around, well, who has Florida State beaten um, when they took the chance and played LSU game one? Yeah, I mean, I I think you kind of laid it out perfectly that Florida State just had some weird timing with their schedule and the fact that, you know, I I think, I mean, I know I've talked a lot about Duke, but I think if Duke had been in a better spot, that would have been a much more impressive win. That would have been a better on your resume. I I think things have kind of just broken a weird way for Florida State in terms of how their schedule is set up to where, I mean, you explained it perfectly. Week one, they beat LSU. Um, And then from there on, you know, their best win is maybe the Clemson game against that might might have been the best team you've beaten. But even then, you know, it's kind of just a few of those teams at the top. Um, Yeah, I I wish they would have gotten the chance to play UNC earlier in the season when UNC was rolling. Um, I, I just think things have broken a certain way to where Florida State doesn't have the the easy playoff resume where you can point to certain games later in the season and be like oh look what they did here um so i i think for florida state they've just been a little unlucky with how things have broken that way um i do expect them to get into the playoff if they win out just because you mentioned it already that things just tend to things tend to work out and these things tend to work themselves out right so i i do expect that to happen to where you know you laid out the picture perfectly of, of all the potential six to seven teams that are kind of in that mix right now. I think a few of those teams are going to eliminate themselves over the course of the next month. So I, I think Florida state has positioned themselves well to where, you know, they've won every game in front of them. And um, you wish it would have been a little more flashy against Clemson. Maybe um, you wish that Boston college game wouldn't have happened quite like it did, but outside of that, I don't see how you have a, a real grape with how Florida state has played this year. It feels like to me, everyone watched Florida State play LSU and said, great team, great team, no question. They watched for the fourth quarter of the Boston College game because there was an upset potential and went, hmm, Florida State, maybe suspect. that I, Did I give them too much credit already? Then they watched them play close with uh, Clemson and went, hmm, Clemson, maybe better than we thought. Then Clemson ends up being garbage and like, oh, well, okay, well, then Florida State's a fraud and haven't bothered to watch them at all. Um, and And they're getting hit with this like, well, you remember that Boston College game was really close where they they haven't played anyone, but they haven't really had they it really hasn't felt like they were going to lose. And, and John, I'm curious, like. Is that where you feel like they're probably getting dinged for not doing the the flashy, the put Jordan out there, the let him put up yards and stats and points and things that that is um, not having them look as impressive because it. it it is weird that Michigan gets so much credit for like UNLV and Rutgers and um, those kind of like 40 point wins when they were actively knew what UNLV was going to call against them. Uh, and Florida state is being dinged for a September 14th road game at uh, Boston college. Well, see, this is where I'm a little more, I guess, cynical. So my, I don't think my opinion should carry much weight here. I, I think I think the college football playoff rankings and the TV show this far out is just for is just for ratings because, like you oh, pointed right. out, I mean, I, I've long hated the rationale that the committee uses, you know, to to do all this and they jockey teams around all this other, all this other stuff. 
I think it's I think it's crap. I I I um I think it's a lot of it's for TV, and because to your point, I mean they're inconsistent in their logic about how they evaluate teams, right? Oh, we're gonna punish Florida State because their schedule sucks, but you know Michigan hasn't played anybody. You know I think the the best team that they played all year is Penn State. Penn State just fired their offensive coordinator because they they're terrible, right? Um, it's kind of the outcome we all knew was gonna happen. So. I um again I, I I don't put any faith I just I can't I can't there's no scenario where I imagine that the playoff committee would leave out an undefeated Florida State I mean they dominated their entire conference you know they won every game which is what would have to happen if if that's you know the scenario we're talking about that means you beat UF you beat Louisville in the championship game and you're sitting there at 13 and 0. And you're telling me they're going to put them in over a a one loss Oregon or a one loss or two whatever many losses Texas has. One. One, right? No, they're not. They're just not. And I again I do think whoever said that it's going to kind of sort itself out, I agree with them. I think it's just going to it will end up sorting itself, right? Because Washington and Oregon are going to play again, right? Uh obviously Ohio State, Michigan are going to play. Georgia, Alabama are going to play. Um I, you know, I think there's the... just. Oh, sorry, I was gonna say I think there's a scenario here where the SEC gets left out, right? If if Bama beats, I'm saying if Bama beats, um, if Bama if beats beat... Georgia and Texas goes unbeaten, the rest of the way, it, the argument becomes: Is Alabama or Florida State the team that's going to take the fourth spot? Is it Alabama or Oregon who takes the fourth spot? I feel I... like in that scenario, I. I don't know who's looking around going, I'm keeping Alabama out. I mean, and that's just the politics of it. I feel like that's just it. Florida state can't do more than what was on the schedule. That's been put together years in advance. Right. right. And like you said, the, the, it will work itself out. So I'll relax. But, but, but that's, I, I just, but that's yes. it, it comes to the, it comes down to the fact that you have all these undefeated. How many undefeated teams are there now? Five really that matter. Washington, Florida state, Michigan, Ohio state, Georgia, five. Okay. And James yeah. Madison. <laughs> right, can't forget about JMU. Yeah, can't go to um, a bowl game, but they're eleven and zero. So you got five undefeated teams, and two of them play each other, right? So now you're down to four. If all four of those teams went out, that's your four. They're in. That's my point. Is at the end of the day, if Florida State is undefeated, it doesn't matter how many style points or how much the ACC sucks or anything that stuff. Other stuff. A one loss Bama is not jumping an undefeated Florida State team, right? A one loss Oregon or a one loss Washington's. Or one lost Michigan's not jumping an undefeated Florida State who won their conference, however garbage it might be. They're just not doing it. It's too obvious. If you put in, like, say, three undefeated teams and a one lost team, and then you have an undefeated team sitting out there who won a major conference, you're just going to burn the whole thing down right now because it won't happen. I will, uh, I will only say my biggest fear in that conversation is the teams that are around it all do play each other. But that's like pretty much all they play. The only one that's kind of left out there to do anything about it is Oregon State, who could throw some dirt on either Oregon or Washington. Um, because Ohio State, Michigan, it, one of them is going to end up unbeaten. They, they only play each other, and, and one of them, or I guess Ohio State could end up, they, are they unbeaten? Yeah, they're both unbeaten. Um, it, Georgia and Alabama, presumably, one of them is either going to, like Georgia's either going to go undefeated and win the conference or Alabama is going to pick up the biggest win in three years in college football and beating Georgia. Uh, 
Texas is the only one that, that I guess plays kind of nobody. They, they've kind of got that like weird mix of big 12 schools kind of floating around. Um, and then Washington, Oregon, like I said, you need kind of someone there. I, I just worry about like the only way it puzzles out is them playing each other. And so I'm like, well, if there's seven teams kind of all jockeying and you're the one that's not playing each other and they're all playing these de facto playoff games. And I, I just worry about putting it in the hands of the, of the media cycle. I just feel like Florida state should have the ability to run the table. And I hope that it plays out that way because I think it should. Uh, I just fear the, well, what have they done lately? I mean, who's Louisville anyway? Is it even Louisville or Louis? <laughs> you know, I mean, like, oh, that's going to spin up. Ben, one other conversation you wanted to have was around uh, the Heisman, and I am clearly biased here, so I will slide to the back picture for you to introduce it. Well, I, I think it just, you know, I, I touched on this a lot earlier, so I won't make this too extensive, but I think the reality is that Jordan's not going to win because Florida State has played more conservative with him. They've played smarter with him. Well, I don't want to say smarter because I think John made some really good points about them not running the ball with him. But the fact is, is they haven't had to use him in the way they used him specifically at the end of the year last year. And I think that's what hurts Jordan the most is that we have seen him be that guy to run all over the field, make those crazy plays, have those high volatility situations work out for him. And Florida State just hasn't put him in a position where that's been necessary for him to do that. So I, I think really, you know, as much as I think Florida State fans will have some grape at the end of the year when Jordan doesn't win this award, because I just don't think it's going to happen no matter what. I I, I, I want to put 0% on it because you, you can never say 0% about anything, I guess. But I it feels pretty close to that for me. Um, I, I just think... The other guys this year, Penix, Daniels in particular, have had those moments, have the numbers, and ha- have the the more consistent offenses to where, you know, they're just going to win the award because it is a media award. It's a storyline award. I think it actually hurts Jordan. What happened last year hurts Jordan because we saw that high end. We saw that ceiling. We saw him have some ridiculous numbers. So I, I think he hurt himself last year by showing what he's capable of. And then this year, because they haven't dipped into that or don't need to or haven't chosen to or whatever it is, they just they haven't done that this year in terms of the running, especially. Um, that is just what's going to hurt Jordan, even though I think if you if, if you put up Jordan's numbers while he doesn't have the yards and everything, I think his efficiency, how he's kept the ball out of harm's way and just how smart he's been this year. I think he should be in that conversation. I just don't think he will be because of the narrative award. I, I'm curious uh, on, on this end and, and Ben, I'll go back to you since you introduced it here. I, I just visited Jordan Travis for Heisman.com and I, I see him uh, on all the stats that they've posted and, and the argument they've presented here. I'm curious the mechanics of launching the site deciding to push the campaign how much of that is football driven is is norvell the coaching staff driven how much of that is athletic department driven how much of that is marketing driven um to then lead to the decision where like we've talked about you don't feature him in the ways that are likely to arrive in that award winning is part of it yes um, but he's at 120 fewer yards per game than Jaden Daniels. And then you can say, well, winning matters. But when the number's that different, it, it doesn't. And when you have a guy like Penix, who's got 100 more yards per game, and this is total yards, running and passing, so total, um, you know, you're, you're 100 yards short of Penix, who is unbeaten. 
um, that's that's where I'm curious the mechanics of like, like you said, they kind of hurt themselves in this campaign by the way the last year ended. And instead of letting him kind of just be this dark horse favorite, this, or this, I shouldn't use the word favorite, this dark horse, lovable dark horse, I guess, that's kind of like, hey man, he was great last year. You got to watch him the start of this year. You anointed him yourself in January. So he comes in as the favorite. And this was the argument I made against uh, against Penix earlier this year when he was like a minus 400 to win this award. I was like, bet everyone else. Everyone was plus 1,000. A guy plus, minus 400 in October ain't winning the award. It doesn't matter. They're just not going to give it to that guy. Yeah. No, I mean, I, yeah, I think he laid it out perfectly. Like, I think FSU saw... I think FSU was on the rise. I think they thought they would be the better this year, but... You know, you never know how a season is going to go. Maybe you drop the Clemson game, maybe you drop the LSU game. And I think the marketing and the PR staff and all that looked at what happened at the end of last year and said, we need to promote our players. We need to show players. And even from a recruiting standpoint, we need to show people why it's important to play at Florida State. And I think they leaned into that just a little too much. But I can also understand why they did those things. Um, Oh, don't blame them at all. It's no. just, it, it totally makes sense. It helps recruiting. Yeah. It helps the whole thing. Like you needed to do it. Absolutely. So yeah, I think Jordan, he, to me, the difference between him this year and last year, and I've said it so many times in a bunch of different ways today is the, the volatility to where he's played more in the middle this year than he has, than he did last year, where last year there were a lot of ups and downs. I mean, it was, I, I forget, it wasn't the Clemson games. I, I think it was the NC State loss where he threw those two bad interceptions towards the end of the game, right? He he he, he isn't having those kind of moments that he had in those end of game situations, right? He's played a lot smarter with the football. And I think because he's played so much smarter with the football, that's what's hurt him, right? Uh, David Hale had a really great tweet um, prior to, this week's games comparing Penix and Jordan's numbers just as a blind resume and Jordan's numbers are favorable against him. I mean, they have, I picked Jordan Jordan the blind resume too. Yeah. uh, It's pretty crazy. I mean, Jordan's turnovers, especially right. He has, uh, this is of course before the game this weekend, but 26 total touchdowns, two turnovers, five games versus top 50 defenses. And in those games, he had 1700 yards and a 15 to one touchdown to interception ratio. That is Heisman written all over it. The problem is, is that we saw what Jordan was capable of, and they're just not leaning into that this year. And I really agree with John that I don't understand why they do it. It doesn't make sense to me. They need to lean into it. But but even then, and I've been talking about them being smarter about it, they can be smarter about it. Like John has already laid out, they can set up the rest of the running game early on with allowing Jordan to run threatening defenses in that way. And then using Jordan as more of a, I don't want to say a decoy, but making it so that defenses have to respect that defenses do not respect that with this team right now. That's why the running game is struggling so much. So overall I can understand how they've gotten to this point and coming from where they did last year with the high volatility. um, I get it. But I also disagree with it, and I think John already laid that out pretty perfectly. John? Heisman? Um, I mean, Travis isn't going to win it at this point. I think that's gone. That ship's kind of sailed a little bit. Yeah, uh, quickly, uh, just to back up, Ben made the point on that. He, uh, Travis currently is at plus 4,500, so he's a 45-1 to long shot for it. He's tied with like Carson Beck and Jalen Milrow, the Alabama and Georgia quarterbacks. He's behind Knicks, Penix, 
Jaden Daniels and Marvin Harrison Jr., who are all sub 450. Yeah, and 10 I, times I, more likely to win it per, per odds makers. Oh, okay. Yeah, that sounds about right to me. I, I mean, I think I think Jordan could still maybe play his way into New York, but I, I still think, you know, he's had an exceptional season. And I I think, uh, well, the tweet that Ben brought up was great because if he didn't, I was going to bring that up. Um, that, yeah, I picked Jordan too. I mean, it's you're talking about a couple of touchdowns with, uh, you know, a, a fewer interceptions. So kind of goes down to personal preference. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that ship has sailed for Travis for the Heisman. Uh, I'm glad that they did it. I think it was fantastic. He's a great, great player. Uh, I I think that it's fine. It doesn't it doesn't really matter. Like he doesn't have to win the Heisman. I, again, I think he could play. You know, based on how the Louisville game, Florida Louisville games go, he could potentially play himself into you know going to New York somehow if he just monsters out runs and all this other stuff. Uh, but Daniels is absurd. I think he should win it. If he doesn't win it, I, I honestly think the next player that should go to, to I'd give it to Penix before Knicks. And in fact, before Knicks, I'd give it to Marvin Harrison Jr. Those those three to me have been by far the most outstanding players this season. Uh, they meant the most of their teams. Not to take anything away from Knicks, I'd put him four. Um, but to me, it's it's Daniels, Penix, Marvin Harrison Jr., and then Bo Nix. Ben, you can go first. No, I, I totally agree with that. I really don't have any notes to add. I so you, who do you think it. should win it, and who do you think is going to I, win it? I, I think Jane Daniels should probably win it. I think Michael Penix is going to win it. I think Jaden should win it. Um, the argument's abundantly clear. He's got 3,000 passing yards and 918 rushing yards. He's going to cross 1,000. He's averaging 58 more yards per game than Penix. Uh, he has more explosive plays by himself than any other offense in the country. Um, he is RG three from 10 years ago. Like it's just, it's, it's the same season, but, but the stats are somehow slightly gaudier. Um, I think it's going to end up going to Bo Nix. I think these idiots are going to love them. A dude who started at Auburn and played against Oregon in his first game and transfers to Oregon and leads a team to the playoff. I think they're going to love it. And he averages more than 80 yards fewer per game than, than Daniels. And it's going to drive me nuts. I'm with John. I'd go Daniels. I'd go um, Marvin Harrison second. I think he's easily the best player in that offense. And without him, they're probably garbage. They probably have two losses. Um, you know, and I, and I think to me, that's kind of where we should look for Heisman. It's not like who's the best player on the best team. It's who's the best player. Who's like the most consequential to the ones that are winning to some degree. Like without Daniels, this LSU team was like a six, seven loss team. Without right. Marvin Harrison I, Jr., I think this Ohio State team is a two, three loss team. Without Bo Nix, I think Oregon is still a one loss team. Yeah. I, without Penix is probably the next argument I'd make, right? Penix is probably the same thing. Their receivers are ridiculous over there. Those guys are catching everything and they go like four or five deep. Uh, but he's also making unbelievable throws. So that's the three for me. I, I, I kind of feel this a pretty similar way. Do you guys want to preview the the exciting North Alabama game or? Oh, I mean, I've like one note because I was looking up some stuff about. Hell them. yeah, let's do it. Um, I mean, they've lost five out of their last six games, so you know. So they were, that, you were telling me they were unbeaten. No, no, they're three and seven, and their schedule isn't exactly uh, a plus. So, 
Yeah, it's going to be ugly. The interesting thing, and I saw people tweeting about this, I think the biggest thing of note from this game is 2013 National Championship team is going to be uh, at, at halftime for this game. They're, they're going to have a ceremony for them. And there's now one participant of that group who's available to come to the game because he doesn't have a job anymore. So I'd be interested to see if Jimbo Fisher gets the uh, – I don't think I don't think that's going to happen. But, you know, I don't know. How, how much fun would that be? Boot off the field, yes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. John, boot off the field? Uh, what are we talking about? If Jimbo gets announced to the 2013, if he comes to the 2013 celebration this upcoming Saturday, oh God. would he be booed off the field? No, he wouldn't be booed. I think, I don't know, he might. He kind of burned some bridges on the way out. Now, I do want to talk about that before we go because we probably should. <laughs> and I know it's been long, and I apologize to everyone for how long this has been, but it's college football. We only give you one a week, and, you know, it's not like it's going to go stale with some kind of North Alabama preview in this spot. So um, Jimbo obviously fired. Today, has he been fired formally? I just saw everyone yes. reporting that he was going to be fired. No. Yeah. Um, See, so Texas that, A&M put out a statement. Yeah. Oh, okay, great. So the the plaque um, that was blank for a national championship that Texas A&M gave him in his opening ceremony <laughs> will remain blank forever. Um, what an amazing, amazing move by Texas A&M. My truly favorite, favorite program in the history of college football to just throw dumb money and then be like, here's a trophy. We didn't win anything yet, but you're gonna. And then fire him like <laughs> two years later. Um he on the way out obviously burned every bridge that existed with Florida State, talking about how they weren't serious about winning. And uh, you know, I, I don't know how many of his arguments were invalid. You guys could speak better to that than I could. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a Johnny come lately to this. I've only been here for Taggart into Norvell, so that's I'll leave to you guys. But um, obviously, the position from that point to here, Florida State now sitting as a team that is a favorite to make the playoffs this year. Texas A&M has not come particularly close. They had the one Orange Bowl season, but never really felt like a true contender in it. Um, and like I mentioned earlier, they had the greatest recruiting classes in the history of college football, and it and it never came to fruition without Jameis Winston. He's kind of proven to be kind of pedestrian. Uh, so, John, I, I kind of leave it to you. Jimbo Fisher, if, if this is kind of potentially it for him in college football, where where do you see his legacy, his his bridges with florida state uh, and kind of his way out the door to where we are now yeah he definitely burned a a lot of bridges i i um man it's tough he's not gonna go to the to the north alabama game this weekend for that for the for the 10 year anniversary maybe he'd show up in the 20 year anniversary maybe by then it'd it'd be okay i i would have to say i i don't know if he he might get booed maybe not maybe you know, uh, someone in Tom Nation Slack group said that the whole stadium would laugh at him. It'd be weird to hear eighty thousand people <laughs> laughing at one time um, at one person. I don't know what the reaction would be. It's so weird. But look, I, I mean, Jimbo's not the coach he was. I mean, AM did not get the coach that won the national title. Right? I think I tweeted this earlier. They didn't get that coach. Uh, AM thought that the reasons for Florida State's uh, kind of collapse in the last couple of years of Jimbo was due to institutional issues that Jimbo liked to complain about. Right. Uh, But that was not the full story, obviously. And Florida state has addressed some of those institutional or issues or systemic issues related to funding and money and commitment and that kind of stuff. And he got all the money and support that he wanted A and M and yet it still didn't work. And it was because of Jimbo. 
And I think part of it is that the game has changed, both scheme-wise and in terms of NIL and all the other stuff. But also, um, I just I don't think Jimbo addressed some of the issues with himself that he needed to do. Because if you could be the head coach of Florida State and say, yeah, this program has this, this, and this. You, I need this money for a football-only facility if we want to keep up. We need this money for recruiting or now now NIL. He was right in all of those things that he said. Uh, but I think the way he went about it rubbed a lot of people in the athletic department the wrong way. And I don't think that there's any reason why he – again, he got the support, so you think maybe that goes away, but maybe it didn't. And I don't know if they have issues like UF and Auburn do with, with bold – you know, bull donors who kind of want to have a lot of control over the program. I don't know what the situation's like at AM. Um, but I will say that, you know, AM thought they were getting one guy and they didn't. They got the guy who was the coach for those last two years at Florida State when the bottom was falling out. That's the guy they got. And it never really got any better. Um, where he goes from here, I don't know. Maybe he takes a break. I, I think I'd like to see him. See, I don't know if anyone wants to hire him as an offensive coordinator because he was just forced to give up play calling. Uh, and his offenses are kind of archaic, even more than they were in 2013. So maybe he goes to a place where they only want six games, seven games a year, and that's the expectation. He might do really well in a place like that. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think you kind of summed it up perfectly. The game passed him by. Um, he did not adjust with the times, especially the recruiting aspect of it all and the NIL part towards the end, at least. Um, yeah, I, I think he just was not that guy that that AM was expecting him to be. I do think he's probably going to be an offensive analyst at Alabama because that seems like <laughs> everyone does. Nick Saban um, school for wayward coaches. Exactly. Um, and, and I love um, we got that graphic back on Twitter, the the things Jimbo Fisher's called Nick Saban. Two of them were God. One of them was a uh, uh, narcissist. And then he called him um, something, some other inflammatory thing like six times. Uh, <laughs> so I'd love to see that. That would be a lot of fun. I'd really enjoy that. And that's kind of what I'm expecting. That's right where my mind went when that happened. Um, yeah, just really, really enjoyable. I find it the most enjoyable because I, I, I want to say I took the Jimbo thing personally, but I started as an FSU student in 2018 and I saw the consequences of those last few years and the fallout from it and what that team looked like. And, um, yeah, Florida, Florida state has the right guy. Now they've moved on. They've, they've, they are headed in the right direction, obviously. Um, and, you know, I think for AM, it'll be interesting to see who they hire. And, you know, maybe Jimbo's an offensive analyst for uh, for Nick Saban. Maybe he goes somewhere else. I certainly don't think he's going to be an offensive coordinator or something like that. Maybe he could be a head coach somewhere, like you were saying, Brian, there. You know, expectations are only so high. Um but I don't really see the argument for hiring him right now, unless you're one of those teams. I guess my my one other question on Jimbo is, I you you think with time this heals all wounds kind of thing, he he will eventually be received back. Um, yeah, I I think he'll be received back in the way that people will say thank you for that national championship. Um, but I also think he burned enough bridges to where 
there will still be that sting of the way he left, what he said when he left, the whole Christmas tree incident, just the the drama of it all sticks in people's brains in a way that you're just never gonna forget. So I don't think I I don't I don't want to say forgiveness is the right word. I, I think um after a while people will be is apathetic the right word? Maybe not. I, I, I let me tell you, the, the smile that hit John's face when you said the Christmas tree incident was so great. <laughs> I will say, too, I saw a tweet, too. Someone pointed out that A&M fired him before Christmas, so Jimbo didn't get a chance to buy a tree, and that's just No chance for it to even go fantastic. up. Fantastic. Wow, love to hear it. The uh, One other thing is I've seen uh, the short list of names from reporters like Ross Dellinger, who are one of the best in college football one of the most connected to the SEC. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying that there's a Florida State coach that's on the list. I'm just saying that maybe there is. I'm just. Well, I've seen a lot of national college football writers today put Norville on that list as yeah. potential. And Mike Elko, too, right, who I think was the defensive coordinator at AM a little while ago. I think Elko is probably one of their first calls. Or so, so is Urban Meyer, I'd imagine. Uh, when it comes to Norville, they may call. Uh, more likely, though, we were again, we were talking about the Towing Nation Slack group earlier. I, I think the most likely outcome is um, Norvell uses this to, to rightfully so get a raise. He should. Um, I, I think FSU would get that done pretty quickly to keep him. I don't, but I don't expect Norvell would not leave anyway, is what I'm getting at. So it's about to be time to give him a raise, regardless. It's, right. It's, I mean, it's going to have to be because somebody's going to come calling. I do think a, a name that makes sense is Lane Kiffin. Um, Lane just got absolutely hammered by Georgia. I don't know how else to say this. There is an abundant cap put on Ole Miss. They have never made it to the SEC championship game. Not one time in the history of the program. You can be as good of a coach and do all the innovative things as you like. There's a cap there. Uh, Post game against Georgia, he was uh, plenty forthcoming with the fact that he thinks they lost because you can only recruit as well as Georgia and beat Georgia. And if you can't reach that, then you can't do it. And at Ole Miss, ceiling only goes so high, and you just saw AM do it. So I could see that as as maybe the, the, the idea to go there. I think Kiffin kind of checks their boxes, and they check his if he's willing to make the jump. Um, I, I, do, I am with you all. I do think Norvell is due for the big raise, and I, I don't think he would do that kind of move, but, you know. Here we are. Couldn't can't can't lose two in a row to to AM. I don't care. If he comes back and says I want 15 million a year, it's just go find it. <laughs> can't can't look like a little brother or the farm system for them. So uh any final thoughts on any of the things we've talked about? Ride ranging from Heisman, Miami game, North Alabama. John's got a finger up. Christmas tree uh, incident is what we're gonna follow up on. Yes. <laughs> yeah, North Alabama. Um knows by 50, and also I'm pretty sure it's Travis's last game in Doak, right? Yeah. So yeah, that's a. Uh... A big thing worth we're celebrating. Um, again, his journey over the last I don't know how many years, six years or whatever it's been, has been absolutely unbelievable. The progress and development he's made. Uh, so it'll be kind of sad to see his last game at Doke, but uh, again, hopefully uh, this season will be end on a really really fun note. Yeah, and, and a lot of other guys too. You know, I mean, uh, guys who haven't been here as long, but guys who have been as mean, maybe not as meaningful as Jordan, but right up there behind him. You know, Jared Verse, Keon Coleman, even though it's been short, Johnny Wilson, Trey Benson, um, Renato Green, Renato Green. That's a great one. I mean, a, a lot of guys who have had such a big impact on the turnaround of this program. Um, and I you know. 
I, I think they'll get their moment on Saturday um, and, and they definitely deserve it because yeah, the way this program is headed, I mean, it's, it's the best in, in the last decade since that national championship really. So um, yeah, it's, it's, things are looking great for Florida state. Boy, the thought, the thing you guys just, the names just came out of y'all's mouth. The first thought I had was a whole lot of work to do next year. So, yep. Uh, but yes, please go out, celebrate those guys. They, they've certainly, from where this program was, just, uh, Jesus, John, when you and I started doing this podcast together to now is, uh, <laughs> is, is night and day. So, you know, go celebrate those guys who made it happen. And it certainly made this job a whole lot more fun. And it's, uh, you know, it, it's what it's what makes it fun. So go out, celebrate those guys. Be there. I understand. Oh, North Alabama. It's almost Thanksgiving. Go, go. You know, go, go. Clap it up for them. They deserve it. So, um, at least we get to go into Thanksgiving with a win against Miami too, and then you go up with the North North Alabama, and then you get the chance to take out Florida too. So, um, you know, season's right in front of you. Everything you're hoping for, everything we built towards this year is all right there. Go take care of business these next three games, and let's go see what happens in Charlotte. So until then, John, we missed you, man. Good to have you back. Brian, for Brian, Ben, and John, we'll see you next time. That's a wrap. Oh.